So when was it that you moved back to the UK from New York? September 11 happened and I was part of the happening. As in I watched it from my office window. I could have been in the building oh itself, um, the Twin Towers, because there was a conference and we, our company had been the day before oh. and I was meant to have been the representative on the day of September 11. But we decided that there was no point in going because we um, it was the day our biggest rivals are going to be presenting and we had seen their product in a roadshow in Houston the week before. So I decided that, you know, we've got so much work to do, just go to the office and do it. So I sat in my office on the 51st floor of my building, which looked straight out onto the Twin Towers oh and watched the whole horror unfold. I'm Davina. And I'm Ricky. And welcome to Fierce Slay Talk, a decamp podcast where we'll be catching up with some familiar faces from the drag world and beyond, whilst delving deeper into the obstacles life has thrown at them in the journey of becoming fabulous. So shall we begin? Son of a Tutu is an award-winning drag queen and activist from London. You are most welcome here on Fierce Slay Talk. How are you? Hey, I am fine, thank you. I am most pleased and privileged to be here on this <laughs> lovely, lovely, whatever day of the week it is. How are you? Do you know, I had to think that. It's Thursday, isn't it? <laughs> it's Thursday. It's Thursday. Well, I wasn't sure which day you were going to be broadcasting <coughs> it, which is why I left it open. Incidentally, incidentally, it will be a Thursday. Yes. Luckily, we do go out on a Thursday, so that's helpful. So how have you been coping? You were just telling us, this isn't going to go out for a little while, but on the day of recording, it was the inauguration yesterday. You were telling us that you were paying lots of attention to that. Um, you're normally, you're, have you been sort of enthralled by the, Amer- by the uh, American election last, to the end of last year? Well, I'm a bit of a um, political addict. Okay. And for all the horror of the last four years, um, 45 has demanded 100% attention yeah. because of the shock and just complete horror of what's been going on. It's like a car crash, mm. but yeah. a, car, a, a car crash, um, you know, has a finite number of people it can actually hurt, as in you have to have been <laughs> yeah. in the car. <laughs> With this particular car crash, it not only happens those involved in the crash, but everybody standing around, every bystander, everybody not even on the same highway. And so it sucked you in and you just couldn't put it down. It's been, it has been a particularly crazy time as well, because Mm -hmm. not only have we had the loser in chief, we've also had... A, a global pandemic to deal with. So how have you been coping with that? <laughs> well, I, you know, um, it's no secret. I, I, I had COVID. And when I say okay. I had COVID, I mean, I had very, 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 very long COVID. Mm. Um, oh, probably, wow. probably because before COVID, I was already battling chronic fatigue of one form or another, which I was talking to the doctors about and we're trying to figure out. And so when COVID came and then that took over, um, the post-viral fatigue, that is one of the hallmarks of the wake of the active virus, mm-hmm. then um, embedded, so to speak. And when it embedded, it um, wreaked havoc. 
And so it's been months and months and months and months and months and months of, you know, just trying to get energy, trying to get a healthy mental mm. a, a mental uh, state of mind. Um, but we're here, so I'm not grumbling or mumbling. We're super happy to have you, obviously. I mean, and I don't think that anybody is going to put down I had long COVID to grumbling and mumbling. I think you're safe on that one. Well, I'm so are. glad you explained your little cackle there because I thought the cackle was because I'd spent 10 minutes talking about it. And then <laughs> I'm not going <laughs> No, absolutely. <laughs> and I, that wicked witch. <laughs> I think you no. might even be the first queen we've spoken to who had it. As, would you say that, Davina, or am I missing someone? Uh, I mean, I think I had it in December, but not, okay. to, the, not to the same extent as Tutu at all. As this, yeah. Okay. Um, but Davina, mm -hmm. you've had everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yours is like a badge of honour. If and I don't catch this thing, I'll feel like I'm missing out on something. Exactly. You know, I, I like to experience everything that life has got to offer. And if that's COVID, I'd like a bit of that as well. Thank then you. Then you want to join Club COVID. Absolutely. So you can, so you can talk about it intelligently and from experience. <laughs> <laughs> it's the perfect anecdote to ignorance, catching COVID. <laughs> now, I feel like we're getting a little flavour of who Tutu is, but mm -hmm. for anybody who hasn't seen or experienced uh, the, the Tutu experience, how would you describe what it is that you do in your act? Rubbish. <laughs> no, I am son of a tutu, um, the horn of Africa, as she likes to be referred to. Okay. Um, I'm just a um, Anglo-Nigerian creation of the gender-bending type, um, who um, I am political, like I said before, and I'm also full of joy because you know what's life but to find joy and to spread joy and so mm -hmm. through the vessel of son of a tutu i am um, you know go out if there's anything that I, I believe needs a little bit of questioning or spotlight thrown upon it i will try to use the tools at my disposal to do that mm -hmm. um but then all the tools at my disposal of son of a tutu are always deployed in trying to create and spread joy and so that's basically who she is, I guess. Perfect. And while we're talking about who Son of a Tutu is, where does the name come from? Ah, well, um, uh, Tutu is, is, uh, itself is part gay because it reminds one of a dancing apparel. Mm -hmm. um, Tutu is African because it's an African name. Yep. Um, from what I discovered recently, even though this was not intended, Tutu is also, I suppose, a slang word for um, female genitalia, but I did not know that. Somebody pointed it no, out I to me recently. <laughs> I didn't know that. Somebody actually showed me a list on saying, oh my God, there's another dimension to your name. But I chose son of a tutu because I am the son of a tutu, as in my mother's name is tutu. And okay. mother and I have always had a fraught relationship. And so one day during one of those fraught moments, I wanted to swear at her, which is anathema within African culture. So I couldn't call her B-I-T-C-H, even though I wanted to. So at the moment that that word was about to explode from my lips, I caught myself and then said, I'm just a son of a tutu. 
And I went, I like that. That's my drag name. Perfect. It really works, doesn't it? It's perfect. <laughs> it literally was a compromise on a swear word mm-hmm. <laughs> that became its own sort of force. Yes. But of course, it has so many other meanings as well. Like you say, the family, African heritage, everything in there, isn't it? And just the, I suppose, just the makeup of the name "Son of a Tutu" mm-hmm. sounds like something tribal, whether it be Native American and Native American name or an African name. It just has that mm-hmm. kind of rhythm and structure to it. Yeah. And so it just it just all worked out. I'd like to say it was a moment of pure inspiration. You know, it was part inspiration and just part anger and frustration. Part luck. Yeah. <laughs> So, where where are you actually from? Oh, the quiz question. I've not seen my microaggressions video. I watched it. I watched it. I know this. I know what's going on. Where are you actually from is one of those microaggressions that <laughs> get... <laughs> we, we, we prefer the, what is your ethnicity? Or something <laughs> along those lines. If you ask me where I'm from, I'll tell you it's London. Exactly. <laughs> then, you go, then you go, where are you from from? And I'll still say London. Oh, I will not. Oh my goodness. I know you wouldn't do This happens a lot though to uh, my husband though. My husband, he he's white. Um, but whenever we're in the sauna, he always gets asked, where are you from? And he says, I'm from Congleton. And they go, no, where are you from from? And he's like, Congleton, fuck off. <laughs> it, it literally just is that moment of instant othering. Yeah. Where you are, you know, where you're put in a category that, okay, yes, welcome, but you're not one of us. Yeah. That's what it does to you. There is an element that as uh, people that ask it out of pure innocence and interest, mm. Mm. but then there's also those that take one look at you or listen to you and go, oh, there's something um, other in there. I mm-hmm. must explore it, yeah. but don't realise that during the process, you other the person socially. Yeah, yeah, okay. Within yeah. that social dynamic, they mm-hmm. are automatically other. Ask what my ethnic background is, and I'll tell you what it is straight away. Because yeah, you haven't othered me, you just, you know, want interesting. So now we have had our learning moment. Sorry! Would, <laughs> I would told you... you she was political. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Will, would, would you uh, fill us in on your ethnicity? <laughs> Nigerian. Okay. Nigerian. Parents are Nigerian, although they, they, they were part of that first um, wave of post-colonial um students who came to the uk once you know when the british empire was being dismantled so they came here to study etc etc individually met got married and out popped i actually my middle name um translates to those in nigeria as in he who was brought from overseas oh really wow as in to 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 the nigerians and my nigerian family i am an import as an import to there. Oh wow. oh, wow. That's interesting. So that's that whole dynamic of your, you, you know, when you're born in diaspora, et cetera, et cetera, mm. not only the place where you belong, do they go, oh, where are you from, from? Even the ones where, you know, they think you belong to go, oh, it's one of those that was brought from overseas. Oh, so you're constantly within this. I mean, we don't have it as badly as people of mixed heritage do mm. because they just don't belong, belong in any particular place. Yeah. Um, but w- once you're born in, you know, in transit, so to speak, 
there's always that, you know, extra ingredient. So what's that What's that like then? I mean, I, I don't know that you maybe have any way to compare it, but what's that like being having to have those conversations all the time? You know, having to have that conversation of uh, where are you from? Where are you from? You know, and then, oh, you're Nigerian. Well, actually, I'm a, a British queen. Like, you know, what... What is that like to have those conversations all the time? Well, um, it's it, it, it's interesting when you see um, new blood coming up and as a new generations and renewing arguments or having arguments that were not properly had because my generation got so numbed to it mm. that, you know, you either answered it the way they wanted, even though you died a little bit inside, or you um, brought people to account for answering it, in which case you got called a um, angry black person or a person who just with a chip on their shoulder, (laughs) simply because inside of you is reacting to something that has othered you automatically. Um, And so, um, and then you then come to the the millennial generation who, and every generation has its battle that it's Mm. fights, and they've come up and said, okay, yeah, thank you for doing Section 28. You did that. Um, thank you for the workplace discrimination when it comes to race and um, sexuality. Thank you for that. But hang on, what about all this mess you left on the table? Who's going to clean that up? Well, that's the fight of our generation. So they then picked those up and then, you know, stared up the hornet's nest and everybody's going, no, 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 what are you doing? There's nothing wrong with it. Get a sense of humour. You're snowflake. Yeah. You're too PC. You're blue, 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 blue. But all they're doing is, you know, doing the fight of their generation, which yeah. helps progress all of us, you know, in time. And so they have brought it back up because now we're having these conversations again. Five, six years, if you'd have asked me that question, I would have probably either answered it or answered it with sass. But now we have it's a conversation because it's been enabled by, you know, the current current generation that is tabling this as something that needs fixing. And so I'm all up for it. Every instance is an opportunity to help educate and make people feel better or do better in the future. People who may yeah. have unaware in ignorance been just out of pure interest saying things that are hurting people. You touched you touched a little bit of upon your relationship with your mother how how has their reaction to you been because obviously you know you're a drag queen you're a well-known drag queen it's not like you know you're a back alley girl you're you're you know people know who son of a tutu is you know what i mean you know some queens do one little bar they never go anywhere else but you're all over the country doing gigs here and there you're also in gay regularly doing you know hosting one of the biggest nights that that uh, kind of nationally that happens, um, porn idol, which we'll probably come back to later. Um, <laughs> you know, so you, you're a genuine name on the circuit and in other areas as well. How how have your family reacted to that? Um, mixed, I suppose. Um, my 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 family was always always had a problem with me doing anything other than the job that they sent me to university to do because mm-hmm. that particular mm-hmm. job you know, in their own esteem, 
uh, was very successful because it was well paid. It was a it was a big job. It was an international job, and they loved that. And when I gave that up, you know, anything I was going to do was going to be problematic. Um, uh, then, but closer to the question you're asking, when it then came down to this particular choice, um, coming from an ultra religious family, right. who I, I wouldn't say I have just got over, but because they never really have. I've got used to the fact that I was homosexual, and then to add to that, a homosexual drag queen, which is what, which is like you're not one of those quiet ones. No, you're one of those that's going to go <laughs> parade yourself on stage. <laughs> <Yeah. like> <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> and not only that, you've used our mother's name. <laughs> you really sat there and thought about that, didn't you? <laughs> How can I upset them? Another job I can do. Was it, was it a different reaction to your family in the UK to your family in Nigeria? Well, all my family is here. Um, okay. As in, you know, my, my nuclear family is here. Okay, yep. Um, I, I, I tell a lie, except for my dad, who was um, the only one who um, was in Nigeria, but then he and I were a little bit estranged anyway, so I never got to have that conversation with him directly. The okay. conversation was always had through members of my family who I would say things to and then or tell things or have conversations with and they would go and relay it back to him. And so, but yes, because of the religious aspect, there was a, you know, a lot of resistance, but then I suppose they've had known me all my life to know that once I make my mind up on something, I'm not one to compromise mm -hmm. on something and then to, trying to talk me out of it was futile. And okay. <laughs> I would, oh, they'd come out of it with bruises bigger than mine. <laughs> and so they just left me alone to be me. Um, if anything ever were to happen that I think, okay, they'll get seen as blah, blah. And I think it's in their interest to prepare themselves, not because they deserve to, but just out of courtesy, I will yeah. alert them. Um, for instance, when The Guardian did a, uh, an interview, I mean, this is before they knew actually that I was mm. using the name Son of a Tutu, I went home to tell my mother that, you know, my name was Son of a Tutu, which horrified her. And she kept asking me, but mm. why have you used my name? And I said, well, throughout my life, my name was the epithet with which people addressed you, because with the Yoruba culture, adults don't call each other by their first names. They call themselves by Mother of Ola. Or mm. something like that. So, so when you were being called Mother on Ola all the way through my childhood, you didn't ask for my permission. So why should I ask for your permission? I'm calling myself the son <laughs> okay. of a tutu, which is who I am. Of course. So when so going all the way back to when you first ever tried drag. When how old were you then? Oh, very very. Uh, drag in what sense? Professionally or recreationally? So the first time you'd ever tried it, I always imagine that it's, you know, very much like um, it's all about Jamie. It's in the mother's bedroom. You always have that scenario in your head. But I mean, it's different for different people. So what was the first sort of time that you'd ever sort of tried to what, do that? I am a basic queen. It was like that. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> There's nothing special about me. It was my mother's closet and I was about 10 years old. And, uh, and so, you know, you're a drag queen. Yeah, so you were showing interest sort of really early. It's in the blood, as in, you know, if you're a drag queen, it's in the blood. Um, okay. Some people have come to drag queen now because it's become very, very popular and very glamorous. And they yeah. look at it and go, oh, I could do that. Mm. 
and they come to it live. But then there's a there's a there's a section of us that you know even before you knew there was a word called drag, whether you mm -hmm. be king, queen, non-binary, you just automatically did it because there was something in your blood that just made you do it. Absolutely, like that was very much my experience as well. Like as a four-year-old, I'm wanting to put a dress on and dance around and be a princess and sing songs and kick my I legs around. My dolls then... or my sister's dolls, which I co-opted and they never got to hold it ever again. Flat their hair and brush their hair and cut their hair. And... Uh, because the factory makeup wasn't wasn't drag enough for us. Horrible. <laughs> Horrible. Put nail polish all over their eyelids so that it would stay. The whole caboose, but plaiting their hair, I was forever. Because I was also then, you know, the dolls that we had then. Mm um where white dolls so to speak so there was nothing reflecting the way we looked as africans or as black people in the dolls so not only would you do you know the white girl doll hairstyle but then you'd also try to find a way of teasing out the hair to make it look a bit throwy so it was right, yeah. it, it, so playing with those dolls as a kid was just you know i suppose my my first um foray into multiculturalism. <laughs> Before you started doing drag, you were working in a, a career that was quite different in New York. Like, how do you go from doing something like that to doing drag? <laughs> um, a very, very long, a very, very long process. It just got to a point where I always say DNA never lies. Mm. And like you just said, um, Davina, when drag is in your blood, it's in your blood long before you could, you knew, you know the word for it or you could spell it. I had um, vociferously been, um, I suppose, conditioned to do something else because it was the wish of um, those who had dominion over me at mm. the time, i.e. parents. And, you know, back then, I don't know how it is now, but back then it's, you know, you do what your parents tell you to do if you're African and there's no choice in the matter. Um, and so I, they got lucky because, you know, the subjects that you needed to, to do to study accountancy were subjects I was very, very good at at school, naturally. Um, so I suppose somewhere in my DNA, there was accountancy as well. And so I managed to become an accountant. Um, we moved to Nigeria when I was eight and my parents wouldn't let me come back to England until I'd got my degree. So I got my degree in accounting in Nigeria and then, you know, came back to England straight away. Um, and then slowly and, and surely started this career in accounting and finance that took me from working, you know, from a small accounting firm in Ilford to Burberry's mm -hmm. headquarters in Hackney, which is where, where it was at the time, um, until I then went to work in the city of London and then got headhunted to work in a firm in Boston. And from there got a promotion and then became a finance director in New York in, on Water Street, which was one of the streets in the Wall Street district. Mm. And so all of that happened. And then you get so far and then all of a sudden your DNA is saying, but you're not happy. Yes, you, you're living a, a storied, life um yeah. economically and you, you, anything you wanted you could get um but you're not happy yeah and uh, you know september 11 happened and the, the, the you're not happies you know intensified in my head yeah. and so 
I had to leave that job and I was on a visa in America. That meant I had to use my special skills in order to maintain it, which I wasn't going to be using anymore because it had become poison. So I packed up everything and came back to the UK. Um, but even though I, so I was ready to do something then, but I wasn't skilled, had no skills in order to do it properly. And so I floundered for a few years and then did a few other careers in the meantime until a drag idol came and rescued me. So when was it that you moved back to the UK? What, what was that before September 11 from New York? So that was wow. a couple of years after September 11 because um, yeah. September 11 happened and I was part of the happening. As in I watched it from my office window. I could have been in the building Oh itself um, the Twin Towers because there was a conference in Windows which is the or was the restaurant on top of one of the towers and we, our company had been the day before oh. and I was meant to have been the representative on the day of September 11 um, but we decided that there was no point in going because we um, it was the day our biggest rivals are going to be presenting and we had seen their product in a roadshow in Houston the week before. So I decided that, you know, we've got too much work to do. Just go to the office and do it. So I sat in my office on the 51st floor of my building, which looked straight out onto the Twin Towers oh and watched the whole horror unfold. And then was then involved in the horror of everybody being in the lobby, in the ground floor, not knowing what to do. Um, all cell phones were not working because... The telephone masts in Lower Manhattan mm -hmm. were actually situated on top of the Twin Towers. There were oh, those God. giant okay. little vehicles, yeah. so so we couldn't contact everybody. All phones were knocked out, mm -hmm. and the only thing we then found is that somebody found this little transistor radio, and it was literally like being in a war bunker. Okay. And in a war bunker, mm. and then we were listening to the news, and then the picture wasn't clear. So the stories like. 12 planes hijacked, only seven accounted for. And so we did, there was hysteria because the story yeah, was yeah. developing. Mm -hmm. And then when the first tower collapsed on itself, because we were now on the ground floor and everything in Manhattan is built up, you can't see beyond the facade of the building in front of you. That's all you yeah, see. Yeah. You only yeah. see the ground floor of what's in front of you. And then all of a sudden you see all this smoke because when it collapsed, this whole, you know, smoke yes. engulfed all lower Manhattan. And then to us, it looked like there would have been another plane tag. So people were just crying. They thought it was another plane crash that had happened. And so we said, oh no, they've now hit, you know, rumor, the Bank of America building. Oh. Anyway, I'm going on and on and on about something that's not relevant to this conversation. <laughs> <laughs> okay. But, you know, that was the final come to Jesus moment. Mm -hmm. And I was never the same in my previous job after that incident. Right. So it then took mm -hmm. a couple of years yeah. for that to run its course to the point whereby we came yeah. to an agreement, you know, it's time, you know, for us to go our separate ways. And come back to England. It's funny though, isn't it? That some of the best things and the worst things that can ever happen to you can make you make decisions and don't yeah. change your future. Well, that's, well, that's, well, that's life, you know. Mm. every good and bad and thing that happens when we say we are our experience yeah how we use both and i say good and bad because sometimes people use the highs and goods in their life to actually become oppressive little twants mm. <laughs> if you understand what i mean so and then vice versa so you can become a bad person 
from the highs and successes in your life mm -hmm. and can become a stronger person from the lows. Mm. So it's then down to the character of every individual to decide what they, how they use the opportunities life throws them. Of the person, yeah. How did you, you said, obviously you made the decision to come back to the UK after that. You mentioned Drag Idol. Was that your introduction to drag or had you tried to do any venues before Drag Idol? No, I had not um, touched drag okay. um, since the question you asked me before, te 10 years old when my father discovered me mm -hmm. doing drag and beat, tried to beat the drag out of me. And so I did not touch drag in the intervening years until a friend of mine then kept saying, don't do drag either, I'd say drag within you. And the, the, mm -hmm. the, the PTSD of that earlier incident, which had occurred 30 mm -hmm. years before, was mm -hmm. still so active in my mind that I kept saying, no, 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 no. Until in the end, I said, you know what, just to shut you up to get you off my back, I will do it to show you how bad I am. And that's how I came into Drag Idol. So Drag Idol was my first drag experience after the experiments of my childhood. And since then, you've done all kinds of incredible things. Um, <laughs> and you've also been very uh, outspoken about other competitions as well, about um, the lack of gender diversity I think we know where I'm going here. <laughs> <laughs> because you've started a petition for RuPaul's Drag Race um, to become more gender diverse. Because, you know, let's be real, it's not. And I, I'd, I'd like you just to speak on that a little bit, really, actually. Well, um, I, I do go on about that issue. <laughs> Principally because it, it needs to be gone on about. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then some people um, think that as a result, I do not like the brand itself mm. or its titular um, host, which is actually couldn't be furthest from the truth. I am a huge fan of Drag Race. I have always been a huge fan of RuPaul since CoverGirl back in the 90s, mm. the 90s version. Um, and I'm a huge fan of... Um, what Drag Race has done, not just for drag, but for LGBT destigmatization in general. Yeah. Um, and there's no way um, for me to describe it beyond the fact that my, my niece, who's one of the daughters of one of my sisters contacted me actually last week. And she's a straight girl. Um, her mother um, is the closest sister to me in age. She's only about 19 years younger than I am. So effectively, I've known her all my life and she's known me all her life. But she was the one person who took it the hardest, my gender. Mm. And so, you know, was pretty homophobic to the point where I don't think I've spoken two words to her in 10 years. Mm. Um, and when I say her, I mean her and her family, her husband, um, her kids, et cetera, et cetera. But then her daughter came out of the night, um, contacted me on Twitter and said, I am the treasurer of a drag competition, uh, drag society in my university. Wow. Could you, can we book you for an online event? Oh, and that was just, sh and I went, but, but, but she went, oh yeah, we love drag race. We watch both the, US and UK one, me and my friends and my flatmates at uni. 
And then she went like, yeah, even though my parents don't get it, I am not my parents. And I was just blown away by that. Did you, I get so emotional even Whoa. thinking about it. It's not my niece and I'm like... That is the power <laughs> of Drag Race and mm, visibility yeah. and representation because it's putting, you know, drag in, in front of people who up until that point always saw drag through the lens of Norman Bates or or, or cross-dressing through the, through mm, the lens mm, of mm. Buffalo Bill. Mm. That had been right. our reality. You know, drag had always been portrayed in mass media as, you know, weird serial killing murderers. Yep. Or, 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 or you know, all those unsavory things. So, you know, Drag Race did that. However, the problem I have always had with it in this, it, 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 to the question that Davina asked me was the fact that it only invites certain people to the big table to enjoy the fruits of complete um, visibility and accessibility and mainstreaming and then leaves others behind purely because of their gender and that okay. is wrong and people will say to me but they had had trans people before and I went yes but trans people who were made to represent in, in a gender that's not the gender that they identify with or not the gender that is their own and I say if you put that process into any other job in the world they would be up at a tribunal that oh no you have to present male even though you are a woman just to get in the door and I just thought that was abhorrent it's killed my soul to think about that and so yeah. I just always wanted for it to be a level playing field drag is drag you know drag is the exploration and the playing of gender in an amplified fashion. Now, what gender you um, approach it from is irrelevant. What's completely relevant is what you do with that apparition, is what you do with that construction, is what you do with that portrayal, is what you do with that gender bendering and what it says about gender and what it says about you and your perspective on gender. That's what's important, not what gender you approach it from. And I know it, it, it's been hard for a lot of people to understand, hard because yet again, you know, the people that always got the most spotlight when it came to drag were CIS gendered, you know, males trying to portray, you know, the opposite gender in drag. And as a result, everybody else who did not fall within that particular category either got unknown, forgotten or dismissed. Mm. And I went, but, you know, we are LGBT people. You know, we have been the resistance for, for years and years and years and years and years. When did we become the oppressor? When did yeah. we become the gatekeeper that disenfranchises people on the basis of their gender? So anyway, sorry, like I said, I could go on. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think it's a really important conversation that needs to be had. And I think um, I think that the, the level of gatekeeping, you know, of saying you are excluded from this, because of what's between your legs or on your chest is just makes no sense to me. You know, it just... It makes, it's, I think it's cruel. And that, and, and, and that's, and that's the way it is cruel to the people that it shuts out. And it's also not representative of drag. If you're going to do a, a show that is about drag, then you kind of have to represent everybody who's in that community. Otherwise, 
it's not a competition about drag. It's something else. For me, it's the drag version of the, you know, no blacks, no Irish, no dogs. <sighs> yeah. It is. If you say no vagina, no trans, no, it is that. And it's cruel and it breaks my heart, which is why I, I, and I've had this conversation with Davina and all the girls that mm. go on. I've got no problem with people going on it because that visibility is key, as has been shown by my sister coming around and having a drag society. But I personally have stayed away from active um, um, applying to it or auditioning for it because the level of cruelty just registered so strongly for me that I went, no, some of us have to make this stand. And even though, you know, our voices have a limited range to a certain extent, uh, extent individually, collectively over time, as is bearing out by RuPaul sl um, slightly, slowly changing, mm. will make the changes that need to happen. And then, you know, if the change is done properly, and fully without gimmick and tokenism that is done organically, then, you know, who knows? You know, Tutu might be auditioning when she's 70 years old. That would be a first, <laughs> wouldn't it? Why not? <laughs> Absolutely. I expected yeah, Davina to, to say next year then. <laughs> You've missed the boat already. Bitch! <laughs> <laughs> You've performed in various different formats, um, television, stage, and what have you. Um, we've spoken to Jamie Campbell from this, from Everybody's Talking About Jamie. Are you in the film? You go to see the film and you, you know, keep, keep your eyes open all the way through. Okay. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Yes, I was one of those lucky enough. Yes, um, perfect. Which, which actually, for me, was also completing another circle. Mm -hmm. Because um, when they were auditioning for the original stage show, I was approached by the casting agents and I waved it up and I went, mm, going into the West, West End, I hate routine. I can barely make Zoom meetings on time. <laughs> I have stayed away from residences because I hate routine. Um, unless you are a name from the television or the films, when you go into theatre, you get an equity minimum. Doing the pubs and clubs, I make a living that is reasonably comfortable. It's not great, but it's comfortable. I'm not at my age. I'm not going to go back on that when I'm trying to save up for retirement. Do you know what? No, I think I'll just pass pass on it. And um, they asked and asked and asked again, and I and I said no. Which is like, and I was happy with that. Yeah. Until. I'd see things like, oh, we've just done the original um, cast recording. And I go, oh, that could have been me. Did I make the right decision? Hey, right. Did I make the yeah, right yeah. decision? It wasn't envy or jealousy, but those things would always take you back mm. to questioning that original idea, okay. um, sorry, decision of to say no. And so, and, you know, just when I thought, oh my God, something else is going to happen that I'm going to go back to that, I get an email saying, oh, can you please now come and would you consider um, auditioning for the film? And I went, yes! <laughs> yes, yes, because it's film. It meant that, you know, my hesitancy of routine or my my hatred of routine would not come to bear. I'd do it once, however many takes it took, and that would be it. And so I could just do it and <coughs> get out of it and go back to being myself. Mm. And so, yeah, it was joy, 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 joy. 
all our things, and there were three of us drag queens, um, Myra Dubois and Anaphylactic. All of us did all oh, our perfect. things with, with um, Richard E. Grant's Hugo, and he was an absolute sweetheart. And um, yeah, it was a joy. Now, having said that, you may turn around and look at it and go, oh my God, next time son of a tutu talks about somebody not giving a convincing acting job. I'm just going to remind her of what she did in Jamie. <laughs> I'm quite looking forward to this now. I can't wait to see it. Cannot I'll wait. take scorecards with you. <laughs> yeah. Right, note to self, don't go and watch it when Davina does. <laughs> we can have little scorecards. We can have like, I'll have a one here and where's my zero? I don't know. <laughs> so you do Porn Idol. You're one of the weekly hosts, judges. The I mean, gentleman here, you, know. you call me the host, oh, write yeah. a letter. Oh no. Oh God, I'm going to be in terrible trouble. All right, uh, a judge, uh, a weekly judge on Porn Idol. Um, Porn Idol basically is like a strip competition. Okay, so okay. every week... A bunch of people get on that stage and shake what their mama gave them. Uh, I imagine that there must have been some really crazy moments during that time. Have you got any uh, any outrageous stories from it? Um, first of all, before I talk about some of the outrageous stories, I like to talk about the competition itself. Do you know porn idol competition? Not only is it the only thing that I do on a routinely basis, and I'm a person who's totally routine averse. I don't do residencies except Porn Idol. And I do it because it is just a joy. It is the complete confluence, harmonious confluence of the very base of just taking your clothes off and the most wokeness that you can get. Remember the average age of um, a GAY customer is millennial. <laughs> I don't even think it's that. <laughs> no, it's woke. It's woke. You know, GOI <laughs> is a brand you go to when you're a young gay. Yeah. And so they are woke. You know, you say something that's, you know, as a judge, that's, you know, not within the, the, the woke ex approved mm -hmm. um, list of things. And you get boots of filth. Really? Be yeah, because because they are they are woke. So that juxtaposition of putting something based as a nudity mm -hmm. up within something so woke is something that just mind blows me. You've had people that have come to judge bringing what they do wherever it is they do it, which you know could be a little bit sexist or could be a little bit body shaming, could be a little bit this, and they are shocked at how unpopular some of their feedback as judges can be having wherever they've come from always got adjuration and adulation mm. for saying all those all these things and they go yeah i know how to make people laugh and then you go and sit on a gy porn and say it's nudity yeah this and that and people will either just give you the response of deathly silence or in, in worse occasions parman you get booed mm. <laughs> quite surprised about that but then i've never seen that particular person's app but then people don't tell me that you know oh, it God. consists of putting people in this transportation vehicle and then picking on their, their, their ethnicity their gender is what it is any yeah. kind of stereotype yeah 
And so this, to her, to her um, um, in her favor, she um, recovered and realized what was happening halfway through and then changed it up. But the first half okay. of that stint was a cacophony. Of Didn't really rooms. work, yeah. Because she's been around for like in excess of 20 years, I would say. And it was because I used to be cabin crew. She's very, very popular. So if this comes to Manchester or she comes to London, every single person is a flight attendant in the audience. Like maybe not at that particular um, one, but yeah, usually. And everybody knows the jokes and knows what she's talking about straight away. And it's kind of, if she doesn't get that audience, I don't know how that really would work. But this is, but this is, but this is how, when we talk about, you know, the institutions and yep. casual stereotypes uh-huh. and how yep. they're reinforced and how mm-hmm. we don't see when we're in the midst of them how bad and damaging they are yep. until somebody comes along and basically stirs up the hornet's nest. Yep. Thank you, millennials, for doing this. And <laughs> the smarter people look around and go, okay, yes, I'm necessarily a bad person. Uh, you know, mm-hmm. I see where we've gone wrong. They change with the times. Yep. Um, the ones that don't ultimately want to hold on to yeah. what yeah. was and moan about progress and as a result gets, you know, given a name and reputation that's just not them, swept aside as mm-hmm. Davina was just gesturing. And mm-hmm. so basically, basically I, I put people into one of three categories, inherently good people, inherently bad people, but most of people are inherently good people who have been subject to bad conditioning. Um, and I am here to help people of that last group um, just, you know, do better. Yeah. You know, I am an agent. I want to support change. I want to facilitate change. But that change can only come where there's a will and, and, and an understanding of the need for the change, yeah. uh, which is what inherently good people just inherently have. The inherently bad people, you know, just won't. I'll just say, no, this is mm. how it should be. This is the yeah. world order. And this is how I want it to continue. Yeah. Well, you know, for some of those people, life is um, comfortable. So why would I want to change what's already comfortable? Exactly. And comfort is very dangerous, actually. Comfort is very dangerous, as is power. And when you're part of a group that has, you know, exercised power over more marginal groups, it's intoxicating and scary to give up because then you would have to face all the your own shortcomings and rely on things other than power rely on yourself Mm -hmm. your strengths your weaknesses in order to maintain um i suppose your own standard of living your own position of living and can be scary so people are if you power you know is very intoxicating and and if you benefited from being in a powerful position it's very hard to give up i mean look at 45 yeah you know look at the you know of what it took for him to leave the white house to leave washington and that is a great metaphor for people's resistance to the kind of change that has progression and wokeness written all over it Mm. and i think that that is probably a great place for us to leave i mean with that resounding thoughtful speech i think that's a great place for us to finish so tutu what is coming up next we know that uh 
Everybody's talking about Jamie. The film is coming. What else have you got in the works, if anything, at the moment? I mean, we're in the middle of a global pandemic. Nobody is expected to be, you know, lining up the whole world. But what have you got in the pipeline for us? Well, I have just started to do online streams, which I didn't do for the entirety of last year, with the exception of special events and somebody wanted me to do something mm -hmm. yep. because I was post viral fatigued anyway I've said yeah. no to most things um, but there were the occasional things like oh yeah bingo on Victoria Beckham's Instagram I'll do that um, <laughs> and stuff like that that I that I did or you know um, C's which is a great group in uh, in Brighton that looks like you know black and brown art I'll do that so things like that I did but for the most part I didn't do anything so I've started to do that this year um, so every Sunday, even though I hate routine, but I'm enjoying it at the moment, every Sunday at seven on my Facebook account, or like G-Day, you will see me doing an hour-long show. I have that coming up. And Perfect. other than that, I might do, we might be doing a tour of um, six. Yeah, if that, if that happens, that would be fabulous. Um, you know, it's in discussion. We might be doing a tour of six this year. I hope so, because, you know, I'd like to do... I've never done a tour yet, so mm. I'd like to do a tour. And, um, yeah, so other than that... I, and I might be doing an adult panto in Ooh, nice, Portsmouth. Nice. In Portsmouth, okay. we're doing... Um, do, 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 what are we doing again? I can't remember. Uh, because everything's up in, the, up in the air at the yeah. moment. So those are the three things, or four things, or... Let me just say 400 things for anybody who's just joined us uh, <laughs> that I have in the, in the pipeline that you can And if you want to know what those Perfect. 400 things are, you have to listen to this podcast from the beginning. From the beginning, that's it. And where can people keep up to date with what's going on with you? What are your social media handles? Instagram and Twitter, it's son of a tutu. S-O-N-O-F-A-T-U-T-U, -T -T -U, son of okay. a tutu. And on Facebook, it is Ola, O-L-A, G-Day, J-I-D Delta E Echo. Amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us today. It has been enlightening. I will endeavour not to ask anybody where they're from. <laughs> Unless it's your own husband. Yeah. And then he can give you out your just dessert. Brilliant. Oh, it's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. <sighs> Thank you so much. The pleasure and has been mine. Well, we have come to the end of the episode. This has been Fierce Slay Talk. You can join us on our journey by following us on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram at Fierce Slay Talk. And thank you so much for tuning in and listening to us going on. We could talk for hours. And if you enjoyed the show, let your friends know. Go on, spread the word. Be sure to review the podcast as well. Till next time. You want it. You got it. I won't hold back. Come snatch it, come take it. All yours right off the rack. No wanting, no waiting. You shake me down, you touch it, you taste it. Come take me here and now. Try it and buy it, the top of the stack. Bag it and snag it, no need to attack. Instant and present, hit go and play back. Right now, right now. Take it and tame it, walk me to the door. Have it and hold it, you only want more. Live it and love it, you've got it, it's yours. Right now. <laughs>